Well, church family, we're in a series on some of Jesus' parables. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew. Matthew. Come on, Tony, let's work this morning. Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to be spending most of our time, 24 and 25 today. So you can go ahead and turn there. As you're turning there, and before we dive into the text this morning, I want to take a minute to give kind of two family updates, uh, church family updates. Number one is that we have two job postings that we're going to be putting up, uh, I guess today technically, uh, two openings that we want to fill. The first one is that uh, through uh, thinking, talking, praying with our board and the leadership of our church, we feel uh, it's going to be very important for our church ministry moving forward that we hire a full-time Grace Kids director. And so we want to give a full-time workload and focus and energy and commitment to keeping our kids' ministry strong. And so if you are interested or know somebody who you think might be a good fit and you want to encourage them to apply, what I'd ask that you do is email us with resume and or requesting a job description. Um, I'm going to be funneling those things through Sandy. And so if you want that um, job description and or if you just want to throw in your resume and or cover letter or refer a friend, uh, you can email info at wog.church. But we want to show um, and, and walk out to our church family that we believe in children's ministry. We don't want to have a wing that's just child care. Child care is good, but we want to have children's ministry wherein we're planting the seeds of the Word of God in those children's hearts, um, that we're watering those seeds, praying that the Holy Spirit would light the fire and bring about salvation and transformation in our children. Amen? And so we want to throw a full-time commitment at that. Uh, The second uh, role or uh, domain of responsibilities that we'll be needing to fill is in the area of media. And that will be a full-time load that, depending on uh, what the Lord wants to do with these positions, um, will either be a full-time person who is over video, graphics, web, social, or uh, two part-time people wherein we've got a, a video guru and a graphics guru. Once more, if you are interested in either or any of those, um, same thing, just email Sandy, info at wog.church. That's info at wog.church. Requesting job descriptions, if you're interested in job descriptions and or uh, that's where you could send your, um, your resume and cover letter and stuff like that. Or if you have a friend or anything like that. I'm confident, fully confident, the Lord has proven faithful that he has something, someone in mind for, for each role that we feel compelled and led by him to fill. And so I'll say this one more disclaimer that I say every time we have an opening. If you feel compelled to apply, only do so, if you're in our church family, only do so if you can guard your heart if the Lord does not lead us to hire you and place you in that role. That's one of the things that, if I'm just really honest, stinks about what I have to do with these types of dynamics. I can have three, four, five, however many people from within our church family apply for a role. That means some are going to be disappointed. I hate that. <laughs> that stinks. But it is the reality of, of how staffing works. So all of that to say, um, if you're feeling drawn or compelled Apply as long as you can guarantee that you'll guard your heart from offense and being offended uh, should the Lord lead us in another direction. All right? Good deal. One more thing to cover before we get into the word today. 
Today is round one of three groups that our church is sending to camp today. Our middle schoolers are going to camp. And so uh, since that's the case, we want to pray for them. So I'll say this. If you're a middle schooler who's in the room, I don't know, they may be uh, in, more in second service or whatever. If you're a middle schooler who's going to camp today, stand up. All right, I guess they're all at second service today then. I know we're sending three groups, but middle school goes today. Even with somebody not here, uh, we want to pray for them as a church family, that the Holy Spirit would be at work in their hearts, softening, preparing for the work of the gospel, uh, and that they'd have a wonderful week. So would you just bow your head and pray with me for the campers today? God, we thank you for an opportunity to send kids to camp. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that you've given, um, covering expenses, how you've compelled so many people to give compelled so many people to ensure that kids have an opportunity to go have fun and, and to go hear about you and learn more about you. Lord, we ask above anything that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the hearts of our kids and, of course, all the kids that are going to be at camp. Lord, that if there are any that don't know you, you'd open their eyes to see their need for Jesus, that you would soften their hearts to be receptive to the gospel. And, Lord, for those that do know you, that they would continue to grow in their faith, strengthened in the truth of your word, that they would uh, ha have what's already present continue to be fed and filled and grow for their good and for your glory. We ask that you keep all of our kiddos safe, all our workers, give them rest, um, help them have a supernatural grace and energy for all that they'll be doing this week. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen. August 15th, 2014. I remember that day pretty vividly. It's a day where I, more so than usual days, made sure that I checked off all of my, all of my boxes, if you will, of preparation for the day. I am a guy who cares a lot about being punctual. I hate being late. Most of the time, if I'm late, Something happened that made me late. I cannot stand being late. And I thank God for sending me a wife who shares a conviction of punctuality because that would have drove me nuts. And so we are a couple together, a family that likes to be early, that likes to uh, make sure that we get our ducks in a row to not be late. August 15th of 2014, though, even though that's just innate in my wiring to just, I want to be early, I want to be prepared and ready. That day in particular was exponentially more so a day that I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row, that I didn't forget to get anything ready that I needed to get ready, that I didn't leave anything at the house, that I not only did all those things to make sure that I was prepared and ready, but beyond that, that I was ready earlier than I would have ever needed to be ready. Do you know what that day was? You got it. My wedding day. That's a day where I was determined if somebody's late or something ain't ready today, I am not the reason. I like that anyways. I just don't like being late. But that's a day wherein the gravity of the day and what was happening, what would be transpiring that day was important enough where I did everything I could to make sure I didn't forget anything, that I'd done everything that I was supposed to do, and that I was ready earlier than I needed to even be early. Because of the circumstances, the gravity of that day. If Katie wanted to be late, that's fine. 
But I wasn't going to be late, and of course she wasn't. And we, we had a beautiful wedding day. It was gorgeous weather. Uh, just thank the Lord for that day. Today, as we get into Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be seeing Jesus talk about, I'll go ahead and give you the spoiler of the point of today's message and the point of what Jesus taught is that we want to stay ready and stay faithful. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. It's towards the end of his life. He knows he's close to going to the cross. And he's having this conversation with his disciples. And it's after he had been uh, declaring the seven woes to the Pharisees. Where he was saying, woe to the Pharisees, those whom behaved one way externally, but internally had no genuine true love for God. There were people who loved to tell other people how to behave, but behind closed doors behaved another way. These were people who were self-righteous, yet internally were dead in sin. And, and Jesus is declaring all these woes upon them. Like where he said, woe to you who polish the outside of the cup, but inside you're dirty. He would say, you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful and ornate on the outside, but inside there are dead man's bones. So he was using these pictures, these illustrations to declare woe or condemnation upon them. He would go on then, Jesus begins talking about what we today call eschatology. That's a fancy church term for study of end times. And Jesus begins telling his disciples how uh, in one aspect or in a few angles, how the end times are going to unfold. And he starts telling them this is going to happen, then this will happen, and then when this happens, then it's going to be the beginning of this. And he just begins telling them some of the ways in which the end of the world will come, preparing for the new world, the new Jerusalem, where we will, as believers, children of God, all be with Jesus Christ forever in the new world, celebrating his grace, singing his praise, just like Rachel was saying a moment ago as we we're sitting here going, all hail King Jesus. And that is the heartbeat of, of, of eternity. We will be hailing we will be reveling in, we will be delighting in, rejoicing in, elated by the glory of Jesus Christ for eternity. As Jesus is telling his disciples, here's the things that are going to lead to that, he then shifts gears a little bit where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Let's, I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to let you know right now, we're going to read a big chunk of Scripture. We're going to read about a chapter and a half. So I say all that to say, zoom in, focus with me. Let's try to set distractions aside, and let's read. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah, when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, 
that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to him, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is doing a lot there to say, be ready. You don't know when he's coming back. No man knows the day nor the hour. So stay ready. Be watchful. Stay awake. Then he continues on by shifting into a parable, this parable of the ten virgins, verse, or chapter 25, verse 1, he says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Remember just a moment ago, Jesus said it was like the days of Noah. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And finally, Jesus continues on now in another parable, but in the same thread, the parable of the talents, verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. And talents, of course, is a term of financial measurement from Jesus' day. So also, he who had the uh, two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents? Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Continue on. Stay with me, please. We're in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. That's a lot of more text than I usually read on one Sunday morning sermon in one chunk going all the way through. There's a reason I did that though. Because as I was preparing, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to go to the parable of the talent, or not the talents, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And, and I could have done that and could have broken it down and dug into it and tried to really mine out things to make you go, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. But I thought it'd be better to actually step back and look at the full context of everything that Jesus is saying, because he gives this parable after parable after parable, and they're all essentially in the thrust of the same direction. 
There's different angles and there's different nuance to the details of this story, but as I said earlier, essentially, they all come down to this one primary message, which is what I said a moment ago, which is this. Stay ready and stay faithful. Stay ready and stay faithful. And, and I guess, actually, a part of the message also, before stay ready, would be get ready if you're not. You know, we, we're hearing from Ryan about going out into the college campuses and sharing the gospel. And he talked about when he was there at the diner and the guy turned on the headlights and came and shared the gospel with him and brought him to faith in Christ. Before that night or that moment, Ryan was not ready. And those of us who are children of God, who have been saved by the grace of God through faith, we have gotten ready by placing our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're listening to me today, whether in the room or on the commons or online, and you're hearing me, and you've not repented of sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not ready for this day that's coming. And Jesus, in one of those parables, he said, man, if you knew, man, if you knew that a thief was going to come at a certain time and a certain place in your home to try and burglarize you, man, you'd be ready. I mean, if you knew, you'd probably call the cops. But beyond that, let's say for whatever reason, in Jesus's day, they didn't necessarily have police the way we do. They had guards and soldiers. But if we knew that someone, a threat was coming to our home, we'd be ready. We'd be armed, we'd be locked, we'd, whatever we could do to be prepared for that. Jesus is saying the problem is that you don't know. At, at, at bare minimum, none of us know when he's coming back. Let's say the Lord tarries and, does, and, and, and we get to live out the full extent of whatever the Lord has for us in our lives. One of two things is going to happen. And you've heard me say this illustration before, that for those of you who have a savings account, why do you have a savings account? What is the purpose of putting money into savings? Why wouldn't you use it on something you could immediately use? Why? Because of what could happen and or because of a day that will come. You've invested into retirement. Why? You are getting older. <laughs> right? That's something that's true of all of us. The sports adage is that father time is undefeated, right? If, if you haven't come to grips with this, let me give you a wake-up call this morning. If Jesus tarries and delays, you are going to die. We've got kids with us this morning. I feel really terrible going there, but this is a healthy thing for us to see. It's a healthy thing for us to consider even as children, to think about, man, there is going to come a day, whether it's today, God forbid, or whether it's five years, 10 years, 20, if, if it's 80 years from now, whatever it might be, that day is inevitable. Why do we put money into retirement and into investment and into savings? Because we know an inevitable day is coming where we're going to be at an age or a body ability where we need to stop working and we need to have invested into the future wherein we're not able to produce anymore or we want to not produce in that capacity anymore. This is so simple to see. There's a day coming that therefore I want to do something now because of the day that's coming. And Jesus is saying, man, there is a day coming 
The challenge is wherein you might go, yeah, when I'm 65, I want to retire. We don't have the luxury of going, when I'm 65, I want Jesus to come back. Not how it works. Could happen right now. Could happen at any moment. Could happen after we're long gone. And so the responsibility, the call of Jesus, the warning and invitation to all of us from this text is first, get ready if you're not. And then as children of God, we see that we are called to stay ready and stay faithful. As we consider the, the parable of the ten virgins, we see that there are those who live their lives in such a way that there is nothing more important to them than that they be ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. They did kind of like I did on my wedding day. I'm going, man, I, I, have I got my vows? Have I got my suit? Have I got my shoes? Are all of my guys ready? Do they have all their stuff? Does everybody know what time they're supposed to be there? Are, we, are all of our ducks in a row? Have we done what we need to do so that we're ready? That there are people who recognize there's nothing more important in their lives than that they be ready and not only be ready, but stay ready. And those wise virgins brought with them not only their lamp, but also a flask of oil, knowing eventually that lamp could run out and maybe the bridegroom won't come by the time my lamp runs out, so I need to refill, I need to stay ready. Now I could dig into semantics there and I could dig into all the debates about what does the oil represent, what's the lamp represent, and that's interesting conversation and there's some good nuggets in there, but I wanna step back to the big picture again of just hearing the refrain of these things that Jesus shares one after the other, which is stay ready. See, there were five foolish virgins as well. The five foolish virgins, unlike the wise virgins, they had their lamps. They had the oil burning in their lamp, just like the five wise ones. But what they did differently is they did not bring the flask of extra oil with them. Why not? Why didn't they bring a flask with them? Is it possibly that maybe they didn't want to deal with the hassle they didn't want to deal with the cumbersome, like, uh, I mean, I'd rather just have one hand occupied and have another hand. Or what if something comes up that I want to use my other hand for? I'd rather have that freeze so I don't have to, like, figure out what I'm going to do with my flask. So I'm going to leave the flask at home, and who knows what might come in the meantime. I'll have a hand free. And I think a lot of times that, that, that's the heartbeat of what causes us who are ready to lose our, take our eyes off of staying ready. We, we like to live in a way sometimes where we go, well, well, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you know, eternity, that's ultimate. And yeah, of course, I, I want to be ready. I want to be saved. I want to have my faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I, I keep a hand open in my life for, you know, who knows whatever might come up. And there's a different heart posture between the wise and the foolish. The heart posture of the wise is there's nothing more important than that moment that's called. While the heart posture of the foolish is that, ah, maybe it'll be okay. I'd, I'd rather make sure that I have a hand free. It seems as though they thought it might be too cumbersome or inconvenient to lug around a flask. and Perhaps they wanted to make sure that they didn't have to say no to something that they wanted to say yes to. Notice the foolish are among the company of the wise. They're together. The foolish are right there 
with the wise. That ought to be something that at least alarms us. It makes us once more go, okay, I I can look like I'm ready. I can look like I'm part of the party, but really wrestling with, am I? Am I truly there? After the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, Jesus moves into the parable of the talents. He continues this motif of staying ready and being found faithful. And, And what is the lesson here? The lesson here, whereas the parable of the uh, wise and foolish virgins was, hey, stay ready. That continues on by saying, not only are we going to stay ready, but we want to stay faithful with what the master has given us. He gave three different people different measures of talents, different measures of money. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to the other he gave one. And notice, when the master comes back, he doesn't sit there and go, oh man, number two, I gave you two. And it's nice that you got me two more, equaling four, but I mean, this guy got five. I mean, you could have done a little better. You should have tried to figure out a way to try and keep up with him. No, he was faithful with what the master had given him. He wasn't compared to anyone else. He was compared to what the master had given him. You know, guys, this passage is the reason I'm a lead pastor right now. I was content being media pastor at our church, going, man, I'm the son of a lead pastor. One of my best friends, Derek, was lead pastor at the time. I know how hard that is. I know the stresses and the challenges and all that. I'd rather not. I'll just stay in this level, and, and that'll be good for me. And when I was studying this parable one day, it was like the Lord saying, you're gonna give an account for what you do with what I gave you. And it was like the Holy Spirit at the same time was convicting me going, there's more that I want you to be doing than what you're doing right now. And I had long, long, long ago felt called to eventually someday be a lead pastor, but I felt like, ah, that's, that's hard. I don't want to do that. But this parable teaches us that we're going to give an account. The master's going to come back one day and he's going to say, he's going to ask to us, what did you do with what I gave you? When the master says to you, hey, what did you do with the time I gave you? Some of us, it's shorter. Some of us, it's longer. Either way, he gave us time. He's given us life today, and we're going to stand before him and give an account for what we did with the life he gave us. No matter what, if our life comparable to others is short or is long, they're all a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow, what are we going to do with that time he gave us? He's going to want to know what we did with the family he gave us. Parents, are you, are you practicing family discipleship? Are you prioritizing planting those seeds in the heart of your children and watering them and praying that the Lord would grant harvest and cause it to grow into salvation? What are you doing with the brother, the sister, the aunt, the uncle, the cousin, the grandparents? What are you doing with those family members he gave you? What are you doing with the relationships that he gave you? Your friends, your social clubs, your sports groups, your YMCA rec leagues, your, your Lions, Kiwanis, whatever, your, your uh, colleagues, your coworkers. What are you doing with the relationships that he gave you? What are, what are we doing with the skills that he's given us? What kind of gifts and talents and abilities has God given you that he didn't give me? 
I'm using one of the skills that God gave me right now for his purposes and for his glory. What are you doing with what he gave you? There's things that you're good at that I'm terrible at. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 where Paul's saying, hey, there's many members in the body. You have a part to play. We all need each other. And it's important that you're doing what God designed and gifted you to do. What are you doing with the job that God gave you, the colleagues that God gave you? What are you doing with the money that God gave you? Oh, there he goes. He's talking about money. Yeah, you're going to give an account for it. What are you doing with the possessions, the resources, the home, the vehicles, the things that you own? Is it just for your own pleasure or can we use them for God's purposes? What are we doing with the body God gave us? That's an area God's been slapping me around lately saying, hey, bud. You could do better taking care of that body I gave you. We want to stay ready. We want to stay faithful. Then Jesus revisits the parabolic image of the father being a shepherd to his people or his sheep, but says that there are sheep and there are goats. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be a goat. You're like, oh, goats are cute. Yeah, they are, the way they jump around and climb on things and do their silliness and how there's the kinds that you can like scream at and they pass out. Fainting goats, that's fun. My favorite uh, goat video is the one of Taylor Swift's song where they put in the screaming goats for her lyrics. It's wonderful. It's hilarious. If you haven't seen that, enrich your life by looking it up on YouTube. Jesus talks about how the Father will separate them the sheep and the goats. Notice that all three of these parables are separating people, judging all between those who are ready and those who are not, those who are faithful and those who are not, those who belong to God and those who don't. In this final section, Jesus says, hey, do you want to know if you're a sheep or a goat? What do you do for the hungry? For the naked, for the impoverished, the sick, the incarcerated. What a litmus test. Now, what we like to do is we like to take this list and we like to turn it into a social justice salvation wherein we go, I need to do these things to make sure that I'm in right standing with God. And we've talked at length about how we can do all this stuff. You could start feeding the poor You could start clothing the naked. You could start visiting the sick. You could start visiting those who are in prison and still not know Jesus. And if you're trying to do those things to earn salvation, you're actually swiping the credit card against yourself because we're saved by grace, through faith, not of works. But just like we learned in the book of James, that if you are saved by the grace of God, he has changed your heart and you will want to do these things. You will have a heart of compassion like the master who has given you his spirit. He will make you tender to the needy. He will make you tender to the sick, tender to those who are incarcerated. I thank God for Rick's ministry in the jail. Man, Jesus is saying, if you're a sheep, it's going to look like it's going to be seen in your life and that you care for those who don't have anything to offer you. How do you respond to the people who are in need when you have what they need? We want to be a people who have our hearts in eternity, our eyes in the skies, 
and our hands in the fields. I'll say that one more time. Our hearts in eternity, our eyes in the skies, and our hands and feet in the fields. Number one, our eyes in the skies. This is treasuring Christ above all to wear like the bridegroom longing for his bride and the bride longing for the bridegroom, wherein Jesus is all that we care about. This is where Paul told the Philippians, he said, man, all those things that are behind me, I forget them and I'm pressing on towards what? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My eyes are looking to that day because that's what's most important for me. I'm staying ready because that's all that matters. All those things that I once thought were so important, I count them as loss. I consider them rubbish, garbage, dog dog refuge, get them out of the way because all that matters is being found in Christ Jesus, knowing him and sharing in his sufferings. And so compared to the stuff of this world and what could come up that I might want to have a free hand for the things of this world, no, I want to have my lamp and I want to have my flask that I'm staying ready because my eyes are on the skies. My heart is in eternity and I'm looking forward to that day. Those eyes in the skies is learning to live with our bags packed. This is walking out what Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here where you can lose your treasure, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that cannot be taken away from you. Going, I'm not gonna let the glint of fool's gold take my eyes off the skies and pull my focus off of living my life in such a way where I am ready and show I'm ready and I show I'm ready by wanting to be found faithful smack dab in the middle of the field. That when that trumpet blows or when that servant says the bridegroom's coming, I've gotta drop the sickle because I'm out in his field that we're doing his work, that we're faithful with our hands and our feet, planting seeds, watering seeds, and harvesting. Remember in John 4 where Jesus told his disciples, why are you guys looking around going, man, the harvest is gonna come someday. Jesus is like, it's right now. The fields are white or ripe for the harvest. That's why I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing. And I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit uses you guys to challenge us to be more evangelistic this morning. Ask yourself this. How do I want to be found when the king returns? What do I want to be found doing? How do I want to be found using my time, my money, my resources, all that list of things earlier? What do I want to be found doing? How do I want to be found when the king comes back, we want to be like those faithful servants who can go, hey, master, here's what you gave me and here's what I give back. I did everything I could to be a faithful steward of what you gave me. How do we want to be found? We want to be found with our hearts in eternity, not living as if the here and now is what's most important because it is not. And there's fool's gold everywhere. Look at this shiny thing over here. Oh, squirrel over there. Pacifiers, not satisfiers. Jesus Christ is the satisfier. He is the one who brings to our soul in the deepest recesses of our existence purpose, meaning, satisfaction, fulfillment, 
He brings us completion that is so much more profound than Jerry Maguire's, you complete me. Why? Because it's from the Holy Spirit and it is internal. It's not temporal. It doesn't fade with all the things of this world. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst, calling us to keep our eyes set on you, that we would not be distracted by all the temporal fleeting pleasures of this world, that we would not be distracted by initiatives or goals or accomplishments that are beneath you, that you would help us live in a way where there's nothing more important than, than, than that we be ready and that we be faithful. Help us, Lord, live with our eyes up, looking for and longing for the day that you would come where we could with honesty in our hearts say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly. That we could mean it. That we could long to see you face to face. And at the same time, Lord, until that day comes, that we would be busy about your work, doing everything we could with everything you gave us to give you back more than what you gave us. Investing our time, our talent, our treasure into sharing the gospel with those who don't know you. Lord, help us not live for ourselves but for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with us and sing?
Father.